This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Tonic, heard Saturday afternoons at 1 and Sunday mornings at 11 on Zoomer Radio. The following is a sponsored program. Zoomer Radio and MZ Media Incorporated do not endorse any of the statements or opinions made by the contributors. The whole world is looking at Canada when it comes to cannabis. They are looking at this experiment that's unfolding and they are seeing the, the positives and they're seeing some of the drawbacks. And they certainly want us to, you know, tweak the system, make sure it works so that really it can be replicated around the globe. Welcome to the new and improved 60-minute version of The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. On today's show, we're going to discuss innovations in the cannabis industry. We'll hear about zinc and men's health. We're going to learn about mindfulness and confidence. And lastly, we'll canvas cancer nutrition myths and controversies. But first, a little bit of business. Are you one of the many Canadians dealing with chronic pain, anxiety, IBS, and other such conditions? Are you interested in finding out more about your options with medical cannabis? Then join one of 22,000 patients nationwide who've let Harvest Medicine be their trusted cannabis healthcare partner and provider. It's never been easier to access Harvest Medicine's healthcare team, education, and resources. Simply download the HMed Connect app from the Android and Apple stores and book your appointment today. To find out more, visit hmed.ca or download the app. That's HMED Connect from your app store. Shaker Parmar has over 15 years of experience as an entrepreneur, lawyer, and design thinker. He's the CEO of Harvest Medicine and the Chief Strategy Officer at Vivo Cannabis. As CEO of HMED, he led the company to become one of the fastest-growing, highest-rated cannabis clinics in the country, attracting over 22,000 patients in under two years. As the CSO of Vivo Cannabis, Shaker plays an integral role in evaluating mergers and acquisitions opportunities and charting the strategic direction of the company. Welcome back to The Tonic, sir. How are you? Thanks for having me again, Jamie. It's uh, always such a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's always great to have you on. You know, when we talk about cannabis, we talk about CBD and THC, which is, of course, relevant and interesting. But when an industry guest like you comes on the show, I want to hear about the future. So let's start with like the process for new products in the country. How does one, like, let's pick an imaginary product that you either have seen or you want to market or bring in. What's the process of, of getting it to market in Canada? So in Canada, we have a pretty cautionary regulatory approach to how new products containing cannabinoids and cannabis enter the market, which is you know, probably a good approach to have. Um, and so that, that, that process usually begins with Health Canada and other relevant regulators putting together a, you know, some list of requirements and regulations as to how the product must be manufactured, uh, what it must contain, what it cannot contain, uh, how it must be packaged and how it must be brought to market and the kind of claims that can be made around 
around that product. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a, quite a intensive process. It's not dissimilar in many ways to, you know, getting uh, other sort of regulated materials on the market, whether it be right. pharmaceuticals or other things. Um, you know, for a lot of people, unfortunately, it seems like the process is, is frustrating because this isn't the same as, you know, creating a new drug class. It's, it's kind of a derivative of the same kind of product. Right. And, uh, and certainly when we look to our neighbors to the south, we, we see that they have taken a far more you know, relaxed approach to this regulation, which has allowed for far, far more innovation to foster in a much more quicker time frame. Oh, that's, yeah, that's concerning because we had a bit of a head start, right? We did, um, you know, and so this is where you have to, uh, you have to sort of, you know, Health Canada has to evaluate the the public interest and public health risk appropriately, and, and as we know in the past, uh, you know, the the approach to cannabis has probably been over cautious right. than probably what has been deserved, and that of course it has an impact. But the good news is, in the long run, Jamie, you know, when you've taken the the process uh, in as sort of thorough as we tend to do in Canada, most things, when we're ready to go to the world, it's much easier to say this is well-tracked, well-proven, and, you know, well-formulated for the purposes we were trying to do it for. I guess the reputation of the Canadian industry uh, is helpful to the overall sales of products, right? I, I, is that what you're getting at? Absolutely. I mean, you know, the whole world is looking at Canada when it comes to cannabis. They are looking at this experiment that's unfolding, and they are seeing the, the positives, and they're seeing some of the drawbacks, and, and they certainly want us to, uh, you know, tweak the system, make sure it works, so that really it can be replicated around the globe. And in your experience, and obviously, you know, uh, you're in the middle of the process, so I appreciate, you know, you, you've got some You've got some irons in the fire, but is the government receptive to the industry in terms of, you know, responding to concerns the industry might have in terms of timelines and and restrictions and things like that? Well, you know, I can't really speak for the government, and they tend to play, obviously, the, the, their, their cards pretty close to their chest. Right. Um, uh, and so, you know, we, what, we, what we don't often get is, is a sense that uh, it's a very liberalized process in the sense that things are going to happen very quickly. I think right. their mandate is to, to make sure that they, they take it slow and do it right, uh, which, of course, can be frustrating for industry, which, uh, you know, often at now at, at the times is competing with black market product, right. uh, which is unregulated. So, right. One of the underlying uh, goals of cannabis legalization has always been to help eliminate the black market. So, uh, you know, my hope and goal is that that the regulatory bodies, Health Canada and the, and the others, uh, you know, are, are well aligned with that goal and will move as quickly as they're able to, to help us bring the kind of products that the people actually want to the market from regulated sources so that we can, in fact, you know, undercut and, and get rid of the black market. Yeah, and I, I think in due course that's going to happen, right? Absolutely. I, I, so where does Canada stand in terms of innovation? Are we still cutting edge with our head start, or are people catching up to us? You know, I would say we, we, we were probably never cutting edge so far. Okay. Um, uh, you know, I think we've been cutting edge in regards to bringing it to the legal forefront, okay. but certainly in the innovation aspect, we have not been. So, for example, in Canada, really, there's only three formats of cannabis currently available, right? So there are there's dried flour, which is the bud. Yep. There are pre-rolls, which is essentially pre-rolled joints. Yep. And then there are edible oils. And those are really the only three formats that are available in Canada. Now, when you compare that to the United States, you see, of course, uh, you know, this plethora of edibles, everything from mints to candies to gummy bears to right. yogurt to beverages. But you also see some really interesting, very medically oriented products, which I wish we had here in Canada, such things as uh, CBD. 
CBD tampons for, for women with endometriosis, THC suppositories for, for, for cancer patients who are struggling with oral ingestion, and uh, you know, topical patches for psoriasis uh, sufferers or deep muscle tissue type patches for lower back pain sufferers. And those are the kind of products that I'm really hopeful for that we can get into the Canadian market sooner than later. Are those coming down the pipe? Like I presume because they're existing products, it's a question of bringing them to market, which I guess the process means you fill out the application for license for these products to be distributed, and then the government says yes or no, right? Yeah, yeah. so I I mean, I hope they are, but I think, you know, everybody's taking a bit of a a measured approach here. So the the next line of products in Canada really will be probably some sort of topicals, uh, you know, probably a transdermal patch. You're going to have some sublingual, you know, uh, strips for your, like they go underneath your tongue, kind of like the Listerine strips that you get. You're going to have stuff of that nature. You're going to have orally dissolving tablets that are going to come out. And so really going to be, you know, movement in the the direction that it's already kind of gone in. We have already, we have soft gels and hard gels that are filled with that, the cannabis oil as the format that's within them. But I think at the end of the day, what really needs to happen here is that we need to look at, you know, certain condition states require different delivery mechanisms uh, for cannabis to be extremely effective, like the CBD tampon and endometriosis example. Right. Right. So if we can if we can start moving the ball forward, and I hope certain companies are, but of course that process tends to be relatively closely guarded secrets for most companies. Right. No, I don't expect you to know what your competitors are doing, and, and nor do I expect you to necessarily disclose what you've been up to, because there's, you know, there's corporate uh, secrets and intellectual property that you want to protect. Yeah. <laughs> um, so on the government side, what are they doing to foster innovation? Are there inc- incubators? Is there funding? What's going on? You know, so it, it's really been a bit of a provincial provincial approach in, in many instances. This is an huh. area where I think uh, the government of Canada and the provincial governments could actually do a heck of a whole lot more than I think that has happened to date. Right. We have an opportunity here. I mean, you know, everybody everybody now is woken up to the the notion that uh, cannabis will be a fifty billion dollar industry within the next ten years, and probably significantly larger on a go forward basis on a global uh, when when it's sort of across the, the world. For sure. And so we have this tremendous opportunity to be planting ourselves as not only leaders today, but leaders down the road as well. And so when we look at how we've done that in other industries where we think there's been this kind of potential, well, we've given, you know, research tax credits. We've been we've given manufacturing incentives. We've right. given all sorts of breaks and, and, and facilities and, and, and things to companies to make sure that they set up home here and that Canada becomes the headquarters. And I haven't seen the same kind of initiative roll out with cannabis yet. And I think it's a it's something that really we should be doing because very, very soon, I mean, as likely uh, as soon as the next presidential election happens in the U.S., our window to make the most of this opportunity will go away. Yeah, I agree with you. So isn't the industry itself sort of uh, using back channels or campaigning? I, I, I would presume this current federal government is very receptive to moving this forward, right? They have to have some industries they can rely on with oil and and various of the other industries sort of taking a hit. You know, so... The current program we're in actually was was started by the previous federal government, not the current one. Okay. And, and this one, right, so it really the ACMPR and everything else came under the, the Harbor government. The legalization happened under the Trudeau government. But it's been this let's take a very cautious approach to, to it uh, because there's still a good chunk of the population 
who isn't as cannabis friendly as we may all want them to be. Right. Um, and politics is a funny game that way. You kind of have to give enough, not too much to upset people, I guess. Right. But, you know, I, I certainly I think there's a room to do a whole lot more. But of course, the current government is, is kind of embroiled in a lot of different things right now. Other than government, I mean, there's other institutions that have a role to play. Are the banks, are the schools sort of pushing things forward with think tanks and, and financing? Yeah, so great point. So I, mean, I think the universities, the academia, is certainly starting to come around pretty quickly. So we, we're certainly starting to see, uh, for example, horticultural programs that are all about cannabis. We're starting to see, you know, research and science really being driven. At Vivo Cannabis, we've had a, a partnership with like Loyalist College, uh, where we're, you know, we've been looking at cultivation techniques, essentially looking at the techniques that NASA uses to grow things in space and seeing how those can be leveraged to uh, grow quality cannabis here on earth. Yep. And so there's a lot of that happening and that's fantastic. And then you have, you know, like I said, some of the, the provincial governments have done a fair bit. So uh, the, the provincial government of PEI, for example, has offered great incentives and credits for, for organizations who want to set, set, up, set up cannabis-oriented business in that province. But I think more, far more can still be done. Okay. Where do you see areas of growth generally within the industry? Where do you see it going? That's a great question. So I think there are probably two big areas for innovation when we look at cannabis down the road. Uh, one is in the the parts of the plant itself. So it's something you and I have talked about before where, you know, currently we only talk about maybe five or six the cannabinoids that right. are in the plant. Yeah. But there's over 140 of them, right? So when we look at the research coming out of Israel, for example, when they're looking at, uh, you know, petri dish cell cultures of cancer and they're looking at the impact that cannabis has, it's been remarkable to know that what we thought were the active ingredients in the plant that were helping with some of that cancer reduction were not. They were the unnamed 130 other ones that we haven't even named yet that were actually the principal actor. So one of the biggest areas of innovation that's going to come out in the next 10, 15, 20 years is for us to understand what are these other 144 substances in the plant? How are they all interacting together to create the medical effects that we're seeing in patients that, that produce such tremendous results? So I think that, that will be a huge area of innovation. The second really big area of innovation will be something we've talked briefly about, which is this sort of, how does that medication then actually get delivered right. to the patient inside their body, right? Is it through something like, you know, the, the, the CBD tampons? Is it through the oils? You know, as we look at the beverage market on the, on the adult use side with cannabis, uh, one of the biggest challenges, of course, has been is how do you get the effects of cannabis to trigger much faster through the edible pathway than the 90 minutes it could take because nobody wants to go out for a beverage with their friends and wait 90 minutes to feel the impact of that social lubricant. No, you you have Um, to, you really have to plan your evenings. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So what they've been doing, what what companies are, are trying to do is, is use something called like nanoparticle technology, which is to really break the cannabis down, but it's got its own host of challenges and issues. And and how do you introduce an uh, an accelerant uh, without a decelerant? And then how does it all work? So I think there's a lot of innovation in that delivery mechanism. So both types of cannabinoids and how we're consuming it is probably the two largest areas of innovation to come in the cannabis sector. Can you comment on any products that you're involved with right now that you see, like, perhaps that are imminently coming on the market? Well, I think um, I'll comment sort of broadly and generally, but saying that I I think what we're going to see a lot of is formulations that are being put together that 
take those cannabinoids, our best guesses at those cannabinoids and terpenes, and put them together in specific ratios to help treat specific conditions. So Uh you may have an oil that you formulate for sleep, for example, that, you know, we've taken our best guesses as to the cannabinoid combinations and the terpene combinations from, let's say, various strains that produce uh, what patients would report as a good effect for sleep. And we've kind of, you know, Frankenstein that into uh, an edible oil that we think is going to be great for that purpose. So I think that's really what's going to be uh, imminently coming out shortly with a lot of different people. Well, that sounds fantastic. As somebody who is completely overtired today, yeah. uh, <laughs> something that something that would help me get to sleep would be phenomenal. We have time for one last question. Where do you see the future of this going? Like, what excites you the most about the future of cannabis? I think what excites me the most is, you know, getting to a stage and in, in place where we don't have to talk about cannabis as something crazy different than all the other things that already exist in our society. That this will just be another tool that, that you know, has existed for thousands of years that we can kind of deploy in people's health and wellness. Uh, I think human beings can benefit so tremendously from things like CBD and various different cannabinoids because, and as you and I have talked in, in depth previously about, you know, the, the, the power of things like sleep and rest and uh, and then having just general well-being from a, a mental perspective that I think I, I'm really ready for the world to have cannabis back in its toolkit for dealing with life. And when we have that, I think the world will be a better place. I agree. Thank you so much. This has been super informative. You'll come back to the show again with us? Always, Jamie. Thank you so much. Fantastic. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we'll learn about zinc and men's sexual health on The Tonic. The Benvenuto Group is an owner and developer of quality high-rise condominium and rental properties in Toronto and Montreal. The Benvenuto team is passionate about delivering quality living spaces, top lifestyle amenities, important services, and innovative design tailored specifically to its residents in every particular submarket. The Benvenuto Group seeks out the finest urban neighborhoods and designs projects to allow its residents to enjoy the benefits of both their property and the exceptional locations that they become a part of. The team surrounds itself with leading professionals and consultants and pushes them to conceive great places to live, to work, and to play. The Benvenuto Group is currently designing several new projects in Toronto, Montreal, and Chicago that will not only become exceptional places to live as an owner or as a renter, but that will deliver some of the highest levels of sustainability, energy efficiency, and comfort, and will set the standard for informed residents. For more information, please visit thebenvenuto.com. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. Megan Horsley is a registered holistic nutritionist, blog writer, and recipe developer. She's passionate about helping her clients discover their best selves with a holistic approach to their well-being, with delicious food, movement, and thoughts. Megan loves witnessing the transformations that unfold. She's a knowledgeable and entertaining writer, and in the March issue of Tonic, she wrote a great article about zinc and men's health issues. Welcome back to The Tonic. Hi, Jamie. How's it going? 
I'm a little lethargic today. We're going to mellow out today, okay. which is all good. That's good. Yes. That's good. I thought zinc was just for sore throats. <laughs> But it turns out, yet again, I couldn't be more wrong. Right, right. Well, you're right in that, yeah, it's it's actually very important for the immune system. Right. Um, but, yep, it has a huge role in men's fertility and women's reproductive health as well. Okay, so how does zinc actually help men? How does it give us that push? So it's interesting. Um, we'll start with testosterone, uh, okay. right? So testosterone is produced in primarily in the gonads. Yep. But we can also produce some from the adrenals. So well, what women produce testosterone as well, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So DHEA is the precursor to our sex hormones uh, that are produced in the adrenal glands. And so the interesting thing about zinc is that with regard to testosterone... It can help prevent the conversion of DHEA to estrogen, which means that ideally, hopefully, we'll have higher levels of testosterone from uh, reducing that conversion. So it's binary. It either becomes testosterone or estrogen. Is that how it works? So testosterone... is actually a precursor to estrogen. Uh, ah. So it's interesting, right? So we have DHEA, testosterone, which then can, can get converted into estrogen. So zinc helps to prevent that second step there. So it's almost like a dam that prevents the <laughs> testosterone from going over the edge into Shall estrogen. Shall not pass, yes. <laughs> oh, a Lord of the Rings reference. Yeah, sure, that's all I got, though. <laughs> okay, fair enough. But it also helps with sperm production as well, right? Exactly, yeah. So again, because we're helping to maintain higher levels of testosterone uh, in the body, yep. testosterone is key for sperm production. So it's interesting. Zinc has a role, has technically four roles in sperm production, right? So it's there at the beginning with cell division. So if you remember meiosis and mitosis from high school. Just barely. Barely, right? So yeah. this might make a bit more sense. Um but yeah, digging back to your high school roots, um, zinc is really important for the cell division of sperm cells. Okay. Um, so that's definitely one key part. And then it also, uh, with sperm production, it also has an effect on the the actual quality of the sperm cells. So the attachment of the tail of the sperm to the right. head of the sperm right. mm-hmm again, comes from uh, zinc being present. So that's really key. Zinc also... So you want good swimmers. Well, you want good swimmers, right? You got to be able to swim through all the tunnels to get to where you need to get to. Exactly. It's a long journey. (laughs) So you want to make sure that... that, Well, I mean, but literally when when people go to fertility experts and and they look at the the male side with with sperm, it's really the mobility of the sperm in addition to the quantity, but also if you have a lot, but they're not doing much, if they're just waiting. They're just hanging around. If they're you know, not doing their laps. Duds, if, right? the, if they're not doing their laps, <laughs> it's it's no good. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Um, so, right, motility. Yeah. The other thing, too, is the cell membrane. Um, so, making sure that that's intact. And again, zinc is extremely important for that. So, protection of the sperm as it's traveling, right, right. Uh, mm-hmm. where it's going to, um, is key. The other thing, too, is really key with zinc uh, because 
again, it's going back to the cell membrane. And so making sure that we can protect the sperm as much as possible by having a very good cell membrane. So the outer layer of the of the sperm cell is key. Right, because it, right. it has to fight to penetrate the egg, right? Exactly. That's so, what I remember. And then when it gets in there, the enzymes within the egg, I believe, break down the sperm cell and that's how you get the zygote. Exactly. But even before that, right, like as the sperm is traveling to the yeah. egg, uh, there's a lot of bacteria that it can encounter. And so... The interesting thing, again, is because zinc is antibacterial in that sense. It's part of the immune system, right? As we mentioned, it will fight off the bacteria. So this is important as the sperm is traveling through the urethra of the man and as it's traveling into the woman, right, to fertilize the egg. So, again, really important that we have zinc to make sure we have Good swimmers. (laughs) Okay. Before we talk more about, you know, what zinc does, let's go back to where we can get zinc. Because we already established it's fantastic. Yes. And I know we talked about it last week. So shame on you if you weren't listening. So not last week, last month. If you weren't listening to the show and you didn't hear Megan last time, shame on you. But she's going to repeat, where do we get zinc in our foods? Yes. So this, it's great because this show is actually an extension of our last discussion, right? Uh, Where we talked about how to naturally boost libido. Right. And so the number one food we talked about there uh, was oysters. Right. And so in one ounce, um, in a one ounce serving of oysters, you can get eight to nine milligrams of zinc. And with the daily recommended intake being 11 milligrams, you're, you're laughing. Well, you're laughing. Well, you're laughing unless you really don't like oysters and they're not my thing. Right. So if you didn't love oysters, there are other sources of zinc, Absolutely, right? Absolutely, yes. Um, and so those would be pumpkin seeds and pumpkin seed oil, mm-hmm. which has a really nice uh, nutty flavor. I oil. love pepitos. Yes, so there you go. delicious. Yep. Um, and so I would highly recommend not heating that. So you want to make sure you're having that in salads, right? You're not cooking with this oil. Right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Chickpeas. Chickpeas are a fantastic source, also a really good source of fiber, yep. something you should regularly have. In your I diet. had them for dinner last night, so hey, I'm all the way job. there. And I'm, I, you know, my testosterone levels are just fine. Yeah. <laughs> You're a prime example of I what am. we're striving in for fact, here. In fact, the testosterone is so good that I have a bald pate, but that's, <laughs> but that's a separate issue. I don't have to worry about more testosterone. Okay, so testosterone helps with blood pressure too, right? Strangely, that's a weird one. This is an interesting one. So zinc is actually extremely important for uh, naturally reducing high blood pressure and and reducing cholesterol levels. So the concern here would be built up cholesterol, right? Like we need cholesterol in the body. Right, right. On the topic of fertility, we need cholesterol. This is what makes our steroid hormones, which makes our sex hormones, right? So just But but if you have too much, it forms plaque in your arteries and it affects your ability for your heart to pump. Yeah, this is blood flow, right? So we want to make sure that our circulation is pumping properly. And we have- So I get where you're going here. It's blood flow. (laughs) to the key areas for fertility. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. It's all about performance, right? Exactly. uh, We want to make sure that circulation is working very well um, and that blood flow is happening and having zinc in the diet can help with that for sure. Okay. In your article, you mentioned that zinc helps with the thyroid, which is interesting. Let's talk about that and then you can explain why that's germane to reproduction as well. Yeah, so... This is a huge topic, um, and I'll try to pare it down you know, as best as I can. Make it simple for me. Make it super simple. So uh, zinc has a hand in thyroid-stimulating hormone. Okay. And this process happens in the brain. 
Um, and so basically what this does is it's exactly what it sounds like. It stimulates the thyroid hormones uh, to produce and actually synthesize. And so we want this because, it's very interesting, this is newer research. Um, I'd say about 10 years ago we didn't know that this was the case. But we've learned that there are thyroid hormone receptor sites in the gonads. So basically spots where thyroid hormones attach in the gonads. Yes. And so we're learning that this is extremely important for sperm production. I was going to say, so, okay. Right? You see how it's coming full circle here? There we go. Right? Excellent. Yeah, it's fascinating. And um, definitely, you know, more and more research is coming out, but this is still fairly new. So zinc just doesn't help men. It also helps women as well, right? So if we're talking about fertility, it takes two to tango, literally. Yeah. (laughs) So, So how does zinc help on the women's side? So one of the key things, again, if we're incorporating uh, men's fertility here, is that zinc helps to attach the sperm to the uterine walls, right? So we want to make sure that it's sticking. It's got to stay if it's going to do what it's going to do. Well, the egg has to attach to the uterine wall in order for the fetus to develop, right? The zygote has to go there. Exactly. Yeah, there we go. Mm -hmm. Um, So so that's a very important feature, right? We want to make sure that um, the zygote is sticking to the uterine wall and zinc helps with this. Right. And as we mentioned before, also... Women produce testosterone, and it's an important hormone for women as well as men. Obviously not as important for men, but it's produced in women, and it is important for their health as well. It's it's important for libido. Right. Right? It's definitely important for sex drive. Yeah. Um, And so, again, making sure that we have zinc for men and women is going to help with testosterone for the women, right? And and it's a great point to make. Yeah. Okay. So, we've talked a lot about zinc and what it can do, but let's put in a disclaimer. We're not suggesting you go gorge yourself in zinc. (laughs) Everybody should be listening to their medical practitioner on this, right? Absolutely. Good point. Good point, Jamie. So, yes, um, you know, fertility is such a personal thing and um, issues that arise with infertility, again, can be based on a, a multitude of reasons. And so, Having zinc deficiency can be one of them, but it's also important to look at um, your lifestyle factors. So, you know, what's going on in your life if, if you have high stress levels, right? We talk a lot about stress on the show and, yep. and its impact on health. But then also chromosomal issues, right? So issues with your genetics that can also come into play. Other reasons for erectile dif- dysfunction, um, there are a wide variety, right? right. Um, and yeah, it's just making sure that we're avoiding toxins as much as possible, right? And and our society is filled with them. So, you know, again, checking in with your doctor to see um, how you can do that. Fantastic. Thank you for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, Jamie. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have, but you'll be back next month, right? Absolutely. Fantastic. We've got to take a short break, but we'll be right on The Tonic. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained, natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. 
Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. My next guest is local yogi Tracy Sagrati. She has a post-secondary education in biology, molecular biology, nursing, acute care, public health education, and Swedish and Thai massage. She leads classes and teaches other yogis how to teach yin yoga. Welcome back to the show. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks for having me. I always want to say wow when I hear my own bio. I know. <laughs> I, always want to, I always say wow when I hear my own bio. Fantastic feeling. It's lucky we're talking about self-confidence today. I know, exactly. My bio is way better than me. Mine too. Yeah. Today we're going to talk about mindfulness in a context that really people probably don't think of. And and as you mentioned, it's self-confidence. Yeah, yeah. And I wouldn't have thought there is a connection, but but explain it. What, What is the connection between the two? Yeah, well, I feel like, I feel like this should also be called mindfulness plus. Okay. Okay. So, You know, mindfulness is actually critical in self-confidence, and there's a lot of literature, a lot of studies that are coming out to support this, because mindfulness practice allows us to become aware of key things that actually interfere with confidence, self-concept, self-esteem. You know, when we lack any of those things, it can interfere with our relationships, our career success, or overall life satisfaction. 100%. Right? And, Mm -hmm. you know, really, the first place that mindfulness comes in is awareness of mindset, right? So we've already established through so many great interviews that mindfulness is paying attention with curiosity to the present moment, right? Without creating a whole story around it. So if we operate from that as the beginning, the starter point, when we become aware of mindset, we can really notice if we go into a situation, whether it's a relationship or a project or a work situation with a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset. Okay, so what do you mean by mindset? Let's just sort of stop there for a second and and so everybody can follow where we're going with it. Yeah, absolutely. So a fixed mindset, when someone has a fixed mindset, and, and often we're really unaware of it if we have it, it's where we look at the world through the lens of either I have it or I don't. So think about athletics, for example. You know, somebody who looks at a sport and thinks, well, I'm not athletic, so I'm not going to try something new. That's a fixed mindset. Okay. okay? Yep. Whereas someone with a growth mindset would look at, I don't know, say trying skiing at 50, right? Mm -hmm. Someone with a growth mindset would look at it and go, okay, well... I'm going to take lessons, I'm going to support myself with all the key strategies, I'm going to research this, I'm going to get good skis, and I'm just going to keep trying, right? So that's, that's a growth mindset. So it's a belief that with effort and the right inputs, we can consistently grow. Yeah, and I think that's fair, and I think we're all capable of growth no matter how old we are. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, again, there's tons of great research on this. Carol Dweck, she wrote a really pioneering book called Mindset. I think it was like maybe 10, 15 years ago. And her life's research points out that we can very actively change our mindset if we're aware of what mindset we have. So if we take the time to pay attention to the internal environment with the purpose of becoming aware of what our mindset is, we can start to adapt by adjusting a fixed mindset. 
Okay, so let's talk. And, let's explore that. Where do we go okay. once we recognize where our mindset is? What do we do next? Yes. So if we recognize, well, if we have a growth mindset, great. We're yeah. you know on we're the there. Mindset. Yeah, we're good. Yeah. But what happens for most people is that certain areas of life will have a growth mindset, and other areas of life will have a fixed mindset. That's generally what happens when people start to pay attention. So as soon as you notice the areas where you have a fixed mindset, you actually begin to cognitively restructure. So you notice when you're you know looking at a situation and telling yourself that you can't do it or that you don't have it or that you're incapable and you walk your way backwards and you create a plan, you create a structure and you feed into that plan all of the things that will allow you to be a success. Whether So again, if you're using the example of a sport, it might be you know getting private lessons, getting the right equipment, and also spending the time on it. I mean, you want to be successful at anything, it takes time, right? Sure. The, the input there is absolutely time. So really reorienting yourself around commitment and determination and discipline. Yeah, it makes sense. I'm going to digress for a sec. I, yeah. I, this is positive, and I believe in this 100%, yeah. because otherwise I would wouldn't have been able to shift careers as I did, you know, Absolutely. midlife. Yeah. But I also believe people do have their limitations and we can't be delusional about what we're capable of. I mean, everybody is capable of doing their best. Yeah. And there's things that we can do that we might not conceive that we can do, but that doesn't mean we can do everything. Yeah, so I think, you know, when I when I hear what you're saying, I think uh, where you're going with it is that some people might look at this and think, oh, you know, if I just employ a growth mindset, I'm going to be the best at whatever Correct. I choose to be. Right? right, exactly. That's what I thought you were saying. Yeah, so, so that's not the case. What a growth mindset allows for is that you can improve in anything. Of course. Right? So yes, 100%. If I, yeah, so if I take up golf, for example, I'm not going to be the best golfer that there is, right. but if I can consistently apply myself, I will consistently make small improvements. It's interesting you, you chose golf because I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm the world's worst golfer. <laughs> really? Yeah, no, it's true. There's lots of things I can do physically. Golf is not one of them. It's a <laughs> finesse game. People lose golf balls when they golf. The first time I played golf, your, I lost the clubs. <laughs> Oh my God, that's funny. I'd like to see you golf. No, you really wouldn't. It's horrifying. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, yeah. I digress. Yeah. Carry on. Okay, okay. So so there's awareness of mindset and then there's awareness of cognitive distortions. And I right. think this is really important. Yeah. So cognitive distortions are just patterns of thinking that are simply just not true. What they do is you get into the habit of them. You're not aware that you're doing them and they give you a distorted view of reality. So there are three really common ones that I wanted to bring into the conversation yeah. today. Number one is catastrophizing. Okay, this is so prevalent. So this is where, for example, your wife, your husband, your your girlfriend, your boyfriend doesn't call you. And so immediately in your mind, you're like, they've left you or they're dead. Okay? Yeah. Right. And so that catastrophizing is so, first of all, it's so stressful and it paralyzes you. And going into that particular kind of view in the brain, it causes all kinds of relationship problems, right? Because, you know, you become over-controlling or paranoid, etc. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing to become aware of. The second one that I see all the time is overgeneralization, right? So this is where you witness a behavior and you use that as evidence you know, from one discrete situation and you generalize that to a whole. Yeah, you you extrapolate without context. Absolutely. And you know, one place that we do this in our relationships is where we can do this thing where we develop something called a core negative image. Have you ever heard this term? No. So cool. So it comes from this guy called Terrence Real, CNI. And this is where we do this with our spouses or our partners is we'll unconsciously pick out all of their negative attributes. I'd never. Yeah, anyways. <laughs> we exaggerate them in our mind. Yeah. And then when we're 
in conflict with that person, the only thing that we're doing is we're interacting with our core negative image of them. Correct. You can't see, you can't see the person behind you can't it. See the person it's a history at all. history of their behavior and past actions yeah, becomes amplified. It's blown yeah. up. It's yep. blown up, right? So this is really common. And then the last one that I wanted to bring in is filtering. So this is where you know you go on a trip or you do a project with someone or you do an interview, and there's so many good things that happen, but you'll pick out one negative incident and you'll basically filter all of the positive ones out and only see that one. So, yeah, I, I may be guilty of that one. Yeah, you're definitely. That's why I put it in today. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> just for, <you. laughs> just for uh, me. Just for you, babe. Yeah, so, you know, those three are really, really common. And when you practice mindfulness, so you just bring your awareness to your mind. You notice these cognitive distortions. And this is where the mindfulness plus comes in. As soon as you become aware, you can start to challenge these cognitive distortions. So you notice you're doing it. You call yourself on it. I'm catastrophizing. I'm overgeneralizing. I'm filtering and you literally cognitively restructure your thoughts. So, you know, you step back. If you're filtering and you're just seeing the negative, you step back and you force yourself to pick out all the positives, right? If you're overgeneralizing about a person or a situation, you step back and you force yourself to look at the whole picture. If you're catastrophizing, you step back and you really look at the reality of the situation, all of the potential things that could be happening, and you allow for leeway of those things. Yeah, I get it. To my mind, though, I think a lot of us are hardwired, and maybe you're saying we aren't. We are. Well, we are. But we're hardwired. Like, I'm hardwired to be a pessimist. There's no question I'm a glass half empty guy, right? So a lot of those things that you're talking about, I mean, there's survival. They're ways of making sense of of what's happening to us, right? It's, you know, we're, we're creating gods in the moment by sort of explaining the world to ourselves, right? Yeah, absolutely. And we're, and we're hardwired toward a negative bias. You're right, you know, and, and that is a survival mechanism. But the reality is, is that, you know, even 100 years ago, Jamie, we used to live 30 or 40 years, right. okay? And now we're living 80 to 100 years and the cumulative stresses that build up from that way of thinking, which maybe allowed us to survive till 30 or 40, 100 years ago, it, that's actually what's killing us now right? Because your body is intelligent, but it does not know the difference between a thought happening in your mind and what's happening outside of you. So the chemical mediators of stress are going to be released irregardless, right? And that the long-term effects of that mean that your body starts to break down and you're riddled with anxiety and depression. Whereas, you know, a hundred years ago, if you died at 30, well, honestly, you didn't have time for that. <laughs> there, are too, there are too many other things to worry about. They were right. real. They were legitimate, right? right? Were, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Our ancestors didn't have to worry about the theoretical tiger that was outside the cave. There was it, really a tiger outside there was the cave. Really a tiger, and you had to deal, right? There's exactly. No time to get depressed about it. That makes sense. Okay, so yeah. we, we really only have like one brief minute left. What else can we do to help ourselves with this? How do we reconcile? Yeah, so I, I feel like the final thing to reconcile is to really practice cultivating compassion for ourselves. And this happens through mindfulness practice as well. Because in reality, no matter how spiritual you are, no matter how hard you're working on yourself, uh, a situation will objectively suck and you're going to not be your best self. And the key in those moments is to really have compassion for who you are as a human being extending that towards yourself is going to allow you to extend it towards other people, right? There's no way you can extend it towards other people unless you stop trying to be perfect in yourself. I understand. Or being, not even being perfect, but demanding of yourself standards that can't be met, right? Yeah, they can't be met. They can't be met. Good advice. 
Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. Thank you for being on the show. Such a pleasure as always. I can't wait for our next time. Yeah, me too. Thanks again. When we come back from the break, we'll be covering cancer myths and controversies on The Tonic. At Caregiver Services Limited, we specialize in 12 to 24 hour private care for seniors in private homes, hospitals, or facilities. We provide the highest level of customized service for families looking for a caregiver or personal support worker. To ensure the highest quality of care and support, we limit the number of clients we service. Whether you're looking for general live-in care or have more significant needs related to mobility issues, dementia, or palliative care, finding someone who's a great fit is most important. At Caregiver Services Limited, our highly experienced staff specialize in meeting the unique needs of 12 to 24-hour care. For more information, please visit caregiverservices.ca. Let our family help care for yours. Hi, this is Jamie Busson. I'm not only the host of the Tonic Talk Show, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic is a health and wellness magazine distributed with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in the most affluent neighborhoods in Toronto. It's also available free on racks at over 150 locations across the GTA. For more information about Tonic Magazine, visit tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, you'll love Tonic Magazine, and vice versa. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. My next guest, Shauna Lindzen, is a registered dietitian with over 25 years of experience. She's worked as a clinical dietitian at Sunnybrook Health Science Centre in nephrology and neurosurgery for 12 years. Since leaving a clinical setting, she's been working in the community as a consulting dietitian. She sees private clients at the Davisville Family Practice, WellPoint Health Center, and Akira MD, a doctor in your pocket. Over the years, she's been a food industry consultant and media spokesperson for a variety of companies, and since 2013, she's worked as a program developer and nutrition leader at Wellspring Cancer Support Network. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back, Jamie. So, as a health and wellness publisher, I frequently come across articles which cause me to raise my eyebrows in skepticism. Some of these ideas proliferate in this age of social media, and my guess is that you come across a lot of food myths and ideas that you don't necessarily agree with and your work as a nutritionist. So I thought it would be interesting if you came on the show today to sort of discuss some of the things that are out there that you may agree with or not agree with and where they fit into your experience. Does that sound like Absolutely. Nutrition myths and controversies, exactly. hot topics. All right. Well, what's the one you want to speak to first? What's the big one? I think the big one in my experience, I work at a cancer center and people are always asking about soy. Right. And I think that's a biggie, and it's because there's a lot of controversy out there. And to be honest with you, most of the controversy, I think, stems from the 80s, the 90s. We're now at the point that we know that whole soy is beneficial for us. Are we talking about the initial soybean, like an edamame? or Actually, yes. An edamame bean or a soybean that hasn't been processed down. Right. The reason why I say the word processed is because once you process soy, you lose something called phytoestrogens. Now, there are two phytoestrogens, genistein yep. and diazidine. You don't need to know those names, but you do need to know that when you're choosing soy food, you want to choose it in the whole form. Now, let me define that. Yep. Whole form means edamame, roasted soybeans, a whole soybean, which we don't really see on the market that right. much, tofu, 
miso paste. Hold, hold on for a sec. Tofu, though, isn't it highly processed, though? It's not highly processed. It's processed. So if you asked me what's a highly processed soy food, right. I would say a protein bar or something that is, for instance, like a product that is a tofu wiener, a tofu bologna, okay. that type of thing. Tons of sodium added. Um, you lose the phytoestrogens, and you're not getting the health benefits. Okay. So how does that relate to the cancer? Because that's how you tied it in originally. Yes. So when you eat whole soy and you get the phytoestrogens, right. it's actually beneficial in terms of if there's a receptor site waiting. So I'm, right. I mean a cancer receptor site. So in a female, usually the ovaries or the uterus, if you have cancer cells with receptor sites, you don't want estrogen to bind in there. So a phytoestrogen in the plant-based soy will bind into the receptor site instead of the estrogen. So in the 80s and the 90s, everyone thought, uh-oh, if we eat soy foods, what's going to happen? It's going to increase the risk for cancer. But it's actually the opposite that happens. The phytoestrogen is a weak estrogen. It binds into the site, and then your body's estrogen doesn't. And some cancers are estrogen-driven. Okay. So you don't want too much of that estrogen binding in. So the phytoestrogen stops it. Because it binds before your estrogen can. So the bottom line is eat more plant-based whole soy foods like tofu, tempeh, soy milk that's made with whole soy and avoid processed soy or limit it and also avoid soy supplements. Soy supplements do not act the same way they find in research that whole soy does. Okay, so I heard something about soy, and you may or may not know the answer to this, but I heard as a male, I may not want to have soy because of the high estrogen levels in it, that it will throw my hormone balance off. That's a myth. There's not, It's since it's a phytoestrogen, it's not going to throw your hormones off. And the amount that we eat isn't high enough for that. So if you have, for instance, I'm going to give you an example, a glass of whole soy milk in the morning, you have a tofu stir fry at lunch and some enamami beans as a snack, that's okay. The American Institute for Cancer Research suggests that we should have two servings of soy a day. The Canadian suggests that we should have three servings of whole soy. So the key is always to remember whole soy. It will not affect your hormones. Okay. Let's move on to another area. What about organics? What are your thoughts on that? Should we be buying everything organic? So in Canada, there are certain things that are, I'm going to also talk a bit about the GMOs, the genetically modified, because that goes hand in hand with the organic discussion. So in terms of organic, you don't have to buy everything organic. Good answer. The amount of pesticides in our food is regulated by the government. And one thing that people don't often know is that if you buy organic, there's still pesticides on it. They're just organic pesticides. Right. So we're talking about avoiding synthetics, synthetic pesticides. First of all, everybody only has so much money to buy their food. Exactly. So, So if you only bought organics, you know, the truth of the matter is that it's just more expensive than if you, if you buy non-organic. So if you're going to pick and choose, my advice to people, and I'm not a specialist, I just play one on the radio, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm a, I'm a health and wellness publisher, but what I've learned over 10 years of publishing is there are certain fruits and vegetables that have more permeable skin. So if you really are concerned about the type of 
uh, fruits and vegetables you're having. It's it's the soft fruits and uh, vegetables where there's more permeability or more surface area. Where if you are really concerned about eating organic, those are the ones that you want to eat organic. Whereas some of them with the harder skins or the peels, you don't have to worry about as much because the pesticides don't permeate into the part that you're eating. Good so, point, Jamie. So yeah. for example, broccoli, which has huge surface area, is a very good one to go organic if you're inclined. Whereas a banana may be totally pointless because it's got a skin you're going to peel. Exactly. And a pineapple as well. Right. So why spend fifteen ninety nine on a pineapple when you can get one for two ninety nine and it's not as permeable. Right. And and if you know if you're full of money and it doesn't matter to you, by all means go buy everything organic, but most of us can't do that. Do you know what, Jamie? And the bottom line is if you've got some strawberries there that are eight ninety nine, they're organic and the non organic are two ninety nine I want you to eat strawberries. Right. I want you to get as many fruits and vegetables as you can in. And it's a personal choice. And as you said, most people can't afford to buy the organic. So choose the strawberries that are two ninety nine. I do. Right. I'm not spending nine ninety nine on strawberries if the two ninety nine are sitting right beside them. Okay. Is is coconut oil healthy? Let's move on to another one. Coconut oil is a saturated fat. It's right. made up of medium chain triglycerides. The research shows that it is good and bad. And that's right. why people can't decide. You've got the people saying it's good, you've got the people right. saying it's bad. It is because it actually raises your good cholesterol, your right. HDL, but guess what? It also raises your LDL, your bad cholesterol. Right. The answer to that question is it's good and it's bad. But if you ask me what is the main olive oil that we should be – sorry, the main oil. I just gave yeah. my answer away there. Yeah. The main oil that we should be having in our diet, olive oil is monounsaturated fat. It's liquid at room temperature. That's my go-to. And if you want more of a neutral oil, I like avocado oil right. as my neutral oil. So coconut oil I use in – baking, but less often. So your primary oil of choice should be one that's high in monounsaturated fats, which is olive oil and avocado oil, in my opinion. Okay. So getting back to GMOs, should we be avoiding them? GMOs actually are new science. The science came out in 1994. We don't know the answer to that. In terms of cancer and cancer research, scientifically, there is not a lot of evidence to say that we should be avoiding the GMOs in the year 2019. So that's also a personal decision. But with a big capital B, if you want to avoid GMOs, go for organic because you can't buy something organic that has been genetically modified, right? Mm -hmm. So it goes hand in hand in that regard as well. So it all comes down to educating yourself. Where does our food come from? Become friends with farmers. Learn. It's educating ourselves. It's learning about where our food comes from. Okay, we have time for one more question. It's a biggie. We may not be able to finish it today. But sugar, as it relates to cancer, is sugar feeding cancer? So sugar doesn't directly feed cancer cancer, it's how much sugar we consume. If we consume too much sugar, our insulin levels go up, which could potentially feed cancer. So we want to avoid having too much simple sugar so we don't increase our insulin levels. And lastly, if we have too much sugar, we will also increase our fat in our body and our visceral fat, which is the fat that's inside our body. not subcutaneous fat, correct? Actually, no. no. Visceral fat and subcutaneous fat are two separate fats. Visceral fat is in between our organs. For instance, fatty liver. Ah. Subcutaneous fat is fat I can pinch. 
Okay. Right? And since we're on radio, you can't see me trying to pinch no, it. No, but so, she is, <laughs> folks. Trust me. <laughs> so the subcutaneous fat, visceral fat, if you increase your visceral fat by eating too much sugar, you may start feeding cancer cells. So it's indirect. It's not a direct relationship between I eat sugar, I get cancer. It's I eat sugar, I increase my insulin levels, I increase my visceral fat, which may feed cancer in the long run. Bottom line, don't eat too much simple sugar. Eat lots of fiber to help your insulin levels and exercise to help your visceral fat. Fantastic advice. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have on the show today. Thank you so much for coming in. It's been wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Tonic. You can download this episode as a podcast on zoomerradio.ca and thetonic.ca. For great articles written by Megan Horsley, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. Tonic's available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighbourhoods in Toronto. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or coming on the show, you can email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Please join us next week on The Tonic when we'll discuss residential development issues with urban developer Mitch Abrahams. Maca for your mojo with Carolyn Tanner Cohen. The Natural Treatment of Menopause with Emily Lipinski and Sleep Myths with Dr. James McFarlane. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This has been a paid announcement. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.